Good morning. My name is Pam. The Old Testament reading is found in Proverbs 13, 20 through 22. Walk with wise people and become wise. Befriend fools and get in trouble. Trouble pursues sinners, but good things reward the righteous. Good people leave their grandchildren an inheritance, but the wealth of sinners is stored up for the righteous. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is found in Revelation 21, 5 through 7. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, All is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water from the living, life-giving spring. Those who emerge victorious will inherit these things. I will be their God, and they will be my sons and daughters. The word of the Lord. If you're able, please stand for the reading of the gospel found in Matthew, Matthew 25, 34 through 36. Then the Lord will say to those on his right, Come, you who will receive good things from the Father. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray. Pam, thank you for reading the scriptures for us today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the one who will come again and make all things new, we pray that by your Spirit you would continue your work of making us new today. Continue to refresh us and revive us and restore us. Speak to us by your spirit through the word that we might be continually changed, transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus and filled with the hope of resurrection. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It is great to see you. Welcome to the World Prayer Center. The 14th stop on the New Life Downtown Tabernacle Tour. I mean, we are trying everything we can to make this not easy, you know? And you guys keep showing up. It's amazing. Normally, I would say this is the best view that we get. Uh, but with the wildfires, that's not the case. Instead, you get to look at In-N-Out Burger uh, while we approach the lunch hour. So that, I don't know if that's fair to you or not. Uh, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness and steadfastness through all of the last 16 months and all of the changes and challenges and moves and all of those kind of things. You are all incredible. So thank you for continuing to track along with this journey. 
special thanks to our staff and all the volunteers who came together the last couple weeks to try to figure out how to do this thing here and figure out which rooms we're going to put which kids in and where we're going to set up this and where we're going to set up that and how to do the lobby and tables and all of those things. So thank you for everyone who kind of pitched in to make that happen. Special thanks to all of the folks at New Life North. There were several ministries that uh, very willingly and very graciously agreed to relocate from their normal places of meeting to themselves go into exile uh, to make room for us in our own exile. So King's Table, which is a special needs ministry, relocated to the main building. The military prayer ministry relocated. The global outreach Sunday school moved upstairs. Chinese church moved out of this room back up to their normal room. Uh, I can't remember what else. I think there were one or two more. Some uh, groups opened their offices so that we could use things. The hospitality team cleared out storage rooms to make space for us. So it's good to be part of a larger family that has nice buildings and then are willing to say, whatever we need to do, we'll make up the bed for you. Uh, Come and rest here for a bit. Uh, We will be here for eight to ten weeks. That's the loose timeline while Palmer finishes repairs. Uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, I accidentally said remodeling instead of repairs. And I just don't want anyone to have the idea that Chip and Joanna have showed up at District 11. (laughs) I I was in the the sanctuary, the auditorium at Palmer last week, and it looks the same, rest assured. Um, There was water standing on the stage at the time, so that was new. Uh, They were preparing for baptisms, I guess. Um, But the squeaky chairs are still there, so enjoy these while you can. Uh, They'll be waiting for us. They are finishing some repairs on the roof and putting in fire doors and other things. Uh, So they've told us they think it will all be done by October. That's where we're at. So eight to 10 weeks, hold that very, very loosely and very prayerfully uh, that we will be able to return uh, and then hopefully stay there for an extended period of time until we can find a permanent location uh, downtown. When we were talking last week about this move, Pastor David Packiam, Glenstad, had kind of a picture in prayer before the service, uh, just the Lord saying that he's bringing us here to this place saturated in prayer that we might be refreshed before we're sent back out and returned downtown. So that's my prayer, is that this time would be that, that we would find refreshing here as we prepare to return back home. Uh, Next week, Pastor Glenn will be back with us, and we'll be starting a new series through Galatians. But today, we're finishing our series through the book of Proverbs with a sermon called, How Do I Finish Well? We all know the satisfaction that comes with completion, When you do something, when you finish something, there is something that rises up inside of us that says, oh, yes, it's done. And it comes up for us even when we see other people finishing things. This is one of the beautiful parts about the Olympics is that you see athletes who've been training their whole lives to do something and then they actually do it and you see them cross the finish line and something rises up and you're like, yes! Like, I don't know anyone that could watch Allison Felix at 35 walking through all that she has walked through, running in yet another race, getting another gold, or another bronze medal and then a gold medal and becoming the most decorated track athlete in our history. And you can't go, yes! Like, well done! I had a moment sort of like that, not as dramatic, but I did finish the incline the other day. No, 
was, it was my first time. Uh, I've been here almost five, four and a half years, and finally some people got me out to do the incline. I'm not going to claim to have finished well. I was 30 minutes late getting there due to all of the, like, figuring out the parking for the first time. It took me over an hour to ascend and included that middle section where there's, like, those double, like, oh, man. <laughs> I mean, there was lots of stopping, lots of resting along the way, but I finished. I did survive. So now I can officially vote in local elections. Like that, that's now a thing. I can claim residency. I can't claim like to be from here, but now I can claim to live here. At any point in our lives, there is something in front of us that we're looking to finish. There's something that we're trying to complete. There's a finish line of some point that we can see, whether it's finishing a project or maybe there's a goal that we find ourselves kind of striving toward. Maybe it's a season that we find ourselves in a particular season in life and we're trying to finish that season, maybe desperately trying to finish, hoping that a new season will come really quickly. Maybe we're just kind of saying, no, we're finishing a year. We're finishing the summer before a new school year starts. We're, maybe you're finishing a decade. You're starting to see that number 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 or 100. You're seeing it come. Maybe you're kind of seeing the end of a career and saying, I'm getting ready to finish this. But life in itself consists of a series of finishes. There are several things that are sort of set before us, and we walk through that into something else. And there's a desire inside of us that we want to finish each of those stages well. And we want to finish whatever it is before us well. And then ultimately, there's something inside of it that says, when we put all of those together, what we hope is that we'll finish life well. That when we come to the end of our days, that we'll have finished life well. Well, And Proverbs gives us a picture of what this looks like. And as we turn there, there's a couple things I want us to remember as we think about what the Proverbs has to say about the finish lines in our lives. First is that Proverbs, if you remember all the way back to the beginning, presupposes that God designed the world in a particular way. That God designed this place, and when he designed it, he designed it to work in a particular kind of way. And the life of wisdom is about learning how to live with the grain of the universe, how to live in God's good world the way that God designed and created us to live within it. And the supposition is, is that if we live in God's world according to the way that God designed it, if we live a wise life, that the wise will thrive. There's a sense that the righteous will prosper and the wicked or the foolish will in some way suffer. That's the sort of basic understanding of Proverbs. But if you've lived in like 30 seconds, you know that life doesn't always work out that way. That it's not always neat and tidy along those lines. There are times, and it may even be a time right now in your own life, where you find that the righteous are suffering. That there are things that the righteous go through. You're like, but it's not supposed to be this way, God. Why is it like this? There are times that the wicked or the fools, they prosper. They seem to just, things seem to be going well for them. We know that that might only be temporarily, but it still is right there in our face. This is why the Bible includes Job and Ecclesiastes. And it's not just Proverbs. Then we have Job and Ecclesiastes. as well. Proverbs says, if you live this way, things will go well. And Job and Ecclesiastes says, and when it doesn't, Remember that God is with you in the middle of that. So Proverbs, it's important to remember that are, they're promises, or they're not 
promises. They're not prophecies. They're not formulas. Proverbs are general observations. This is generally how life works. That if you live this way, typically things go well. There are observable patterns. There are probabilities. Do this and things will go well, but not always, and then turn to those other books. So among those general observations is this, is that wisdom will lead to a long and good life. That the way of wisdom, the path of wisdom, that those who walk with the wise, that those who seek wisdom, that their life will be long and their life will be good. Proverbs 3 says it this way, My son, don't forget my instruction. Let your heart guard my commands because they, these instructions, these teachings of wisdom, they will help you live a long time and provide you with well-being. The original language says they will increase your days and your years and they will add to you shalom, peace, prospering, flourishing, all the this, this sense that all things are well and all things are right and all things are, are good. That this is what the life of wisdom should lead to. And for Israel's sages, when they were thinking about, well, how do we illustrate this? What does that actually look like? How can we tell when someone has lived a long and good life? How do we know when someone has lived a full life? What does it look like when someone finishes well? For us, we might think about that picture in the Olympics of someone standing on a podium and being given a medal and then them biting it. I still don't know why that they do that, but that's the picture that we might get. And for the sages, they pictured people being given a crown, someone coming and placing a crown on their head. And not just one crown, but two crowns going and saying, you don't just get one, you get two. And particularly here are the crowns, you will be crowns with gray hair and grandchildren. That's the picture they get. And some of you are already like, oh, thank God I have arrived. Gray hair and grandchildren. For the sages, gray hair and grandchildren were really practical things. They're things that come at the end of a long life, right? In order to have gray hair, you have to have lived some days. Some of you may be in your 20s and starting to go gray. It's just going to happen sometimes. Just go with it. It's a sign of early wisdom. You can tell your friends that. Right? But there's a sense like, oh, when you live long, you get to experience some of these kinds of things. But I think there's actually something deeper behind these pictures, that they actually point beyond themselves, that really gray hair and grandchildren become symbols and signs of something else. They actually point beyond themselves to something greater. Proverbs 16.31 says this, gray hair is a crown of glory. You may want to rethink Coloring your hair, just based on that passage right there. It's a crown of glory, and it's found on the path of righteousness. The original language there, that word, is most often translated as dignity or beauty. It's the same word that's used to describe all of the things that they make for the priests in the tabernacle. There's a dignity, that there's a beauty to this. Proverbs 20, 29 says, strength is the glory of young men, the gray hair is the splendor of old age. The word splendor can also be translated majesty. It's the same word that's actually found in Proverbs or in Psalm 8, when the psalmist is talking about the creation of humanity. And who is it that God is mindful of us as people? And the psalmist says, you, God, have made them, made us, Slightly less than divine, 
crowning them with glory and grandeur. See, for the sages, gray hair is a symbol or a sign pointing beyond itself and pointing to our humanity. That it points to something deeply and truly human about us. It points to who we were created to be. It's supposed to recall, remind us that we were made in the image and likeness of God. It becomes shorthand for arriving at God's original intent for us. That at the end of our life, that we've arrived at God's original intent for us as people. And that's ultimately what finishing well looks like. Finishing well looks like a realization of God's image in us. But when you're in that season, you're thinking about, what does it mean for me to finish this well? It means finishing in such a way that the image of God is displayed in and through you. It's a realization of like, oh yes, this is who I am. This is who God made me to be. This is what it means to be an image bearer. The hope or the goal is that we finish each situation, each season that we're in, becoming more human, becoming more Christ-like. That as we go through life, the Spirit of God is at work in us. And as we cross each finish line, we can look back and we can see the work of God making us more like himself. Paul says that as we walk through life, we're transformed into his image from one degree of glory to the next. That we can look at each season and say, how do I know that I finished well? I went from one degree of glory into the next. That somehow in the midst of that season that I found myself in, by the Spirit of God, I became more human. I became more dignified, more beautiful, more majestic, more of the person that God created and designed and intended for me to be. The proverb said that this is actually found on the path of righteousness. It's found on a particular path. There are lots of paths in Proverbs, lots of sort of routes that you can go, lots of trails, and they're described sometimes as wicked, as evil, as faithless, as crooked, paths that lead to ruin and to death. Paths, ways of living, ways of being, ways of walking, relating, and living in the world that actually in some way rob us of our humanity and dehumanize us in some way. This is ultimately what sin does. Sin is a great dehumanizer in us and in other people. That's why God is so against it because it actually pushes against the very things that he designed and intended for us to become. But then there are other paths, paths described as paths of righteousness, of wisdom, paths that are straight and innocent and just, whereas we walk along these paths, our beauty is realized, our dignity is restored, and we become more like Jesus, not because we've done something, but somehow on this path, the Spirit walks with us and works in us, and we're transformed from glory to glory to glory. So as you think about the season that you're in right now, or the finish line that you see ahead of you, 
When you think about this thing that's right in front of you, as you think about how do I finish well, as you walk toward that line, the scriptures invite us to ask the question, who are we becoming? In that process, as we move toward that finish, who are we becoming in the process? What are we noticing about our character? What are we noticing about our attitude? What is our stance toward ourselves, toward others, toward God? See, finishing well is being able to look at something and say, oh, that season and my finish of that season is marked, marked by love, marked by joy, marked by peace, marked by faithfulness, by gentleness, by goodness, by self-control, that as I look back on that season, there may be a lot of things that didn't go as planned, but in the middle of that, when I crossed the line, there was something inside of me bursting forth that looked like Jesus, that looked like becoming more like him. It didn't say that this path would be easy or this path would be comfortable or the path would always end in the same place that we thought it was going to with all the fruit that we thought it was going to have, but there would be a fruit of character, be a fruit of goodness, there'd be the fruit of kindness, the fruit of relationships. Oftentimes the righteous path is a harder one. It's often a longer one, but it is a more worthy one because at the end of it, we find the work of the Spirit transforming us into the image and likeness of Jesus. Finishing well, my friends, is about realizing God's image in us. How is the Spirit doing that in us as we face the next finish line? Second thing that we see beyond gray hair is grandchildren. It says grandchildren are the crown of the elderly. For those of you who are sitting near or around your grandchildren or getting to spend time with your grandchildren later today, there is something about that that feels like a crown. You're like, look at my grandkids. If you've ever been around a, a proud grandparent, they're pulling that billfold or wallet out and showing you pictures. And you think, when are you going to get a smartphone? You're going to show me like the, the most recent photos on there. Just is light humor there. It's okay. But the grandchildren are a sign of something. They're a symbol that point beyond something. And whenever actually we see, we come across children and grandchildren, particularly in the Old Testament, what we're called to remember is the commission of Adam and the promise of Abraham. That this is what we're called to remember that God said to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. The original commission given to humanity is to have babies. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And when God's making a promise to Abraham and to Sarah, he says, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the shores of the sea. When we think about the Old Testament and how the people of God expand, how the kingdom of God moves forward, it primarily moves forward in the Old Testament through procreation. How do the people of God grow and expand? They have more babies. This is what happens as they're in Egypt under the time of Joseph. What's happening? They're fruitful and they multiply and they become a nation that terrifies Pharaoh. This is what we see happening. But when we get to the New Testament, something shifts. How do the people of God expand in the New Testament? How does the kingdom go forth in the New Testament? It's no longer primarily through procreation. It's through proclamation. 
We move from a command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth to go into all the earth and to make disciples. We move from an emphasis on giving birth to an emphasis on new birth and on baptism. This is why in the New Testament, singleness is so celebrated and encouraged. So that we fail to do so often in the church. So that those who are celibate and single are giving themselves wholly to the life of proclamation, of letting their life speak to the gospel and the significance that comes by giving oneself fully to Jesus and saying, I'm going to devote myself to seeing the gospel go forth. So in the Old Testament, when we talk about grandchildren, it's really shorthand for talking about the kingdom. This short we're talking about the kingdom mission in the world. And so finishing well for the people of God looks like participating in God's plan for us. It's becoming more like him and participating in his plan for us. We get another picture of this in the other proverb about grandchildren. Grandchildren are only mentioned twice in the Proverbs, and the other one is Proverbs 13, 22. It says, good people, those who finish well, They leave their grandchildren an inheritance, but the wealth of sinners is stored up for the righteous. Now, when we think of an inheritance, we typically think of something that our grandma or grandfather or mother or father has left us, maybe with some cash, maybe it was a quilt, maybe a piece of furniture that you're really not sure where to put it, like you're wanting to receive the gift well, but you're like, it doesn't go with my decor. For me, I think about my grandfather's pocket knife my great-grandmother's rug that sits right in front of our back door. We think about those kind of things when we think about an inheritance. For the Old Testament people, though, the word inheritance is a technical term. It's referring to something very specific. It's referring to a family plot of land, a family parcel. If you remember the way that the Old Testament story unfolds as God is bringing his people out of Egypt into the land that he promised them, there's this emphasis over and over and over again that this is Yahweh's land, that the whole earth is the Lord's, that this land is his, but he's given it to Israel as part of his covenant with them, that he's given them the land. And then we've had these passages, long passages where they're naming lots of people, those genealogical passages that we all love to read so much. And in each of them, we find that there's a family plot being assigned. It's almost like an Oprah show. You get a plot, and you get a plot, and you get a plot, and you get a parcel, and you get this one, and you get that one. And they're listing every single family is getting a plot of land, and it's described as an inheritance from the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and he has given a piece of it to each family. And so the Israelite ideal about a good life is that each generation would begin and end their life on that same piece of land. That they would begin their life in this plot. And they would end their life on this plot. There's those passages in the Old Testament that talk about being gathered to one's forefathers. The idea is that there's a burial place where all of those who've come before are buried And the dream is to be buried with them and waiting for resurrection together on the plot of land that God has given. So the ideal is to receive the inheritance, the plot of land as a gift, to hold it in trust, and then to pass it on to the next generation, to honor that gift by preserving the land, by promoting it, planting new things, Sometimes crops that you'll never actually see the fruit from, 
building buildings for other people and holding it in such a way that you can pass it on to the next generation. Friends, kingdom participation looks simply like passing on what we've received to others. That's what it means to participate in the kingdom, is to pass on to others what we ourselves have received. Paul says, I am delighted to pass on what I have received to you, to proclaim to you what it is that I have received. And so as you think about what you're currently finishing, as you think about the next finish line that's in front of you, the question that the scriptures invite us to ask is what are we passing on? What are we passing on? And who are we passing it on to? Who are the recipients that God has placed in our lives in order to give good things to them through us? Maybe you're a parent and you're thinking about the time that you have with your kids in your home. What good things have you received from our Father that you're going to pass on to them? Or maybe you're a grandparent thinking about that with their grandchildren. Our kids just got back from spending a week with Sarah's parents in Wichita. And they had that conversation with us this summer of saying, gosh, their kids are getting older. And there's going to come a day where they will not have free time in the summer. You guys remember free time in the summer when we had that? There's going to come a time where, th- where that's not going to be there. But while it's there, we want to savor these moments as they invited them to come, spend a week with them, and a whole plan of activities. That's just an overflow of the way that they live their lives toward our kids. It's such a gift to us. Sarah's mom does a weekly Zoom call during the school year with our kids to pray with them and to walk through a little devotional with them, to invest in them, to pass on to them what they've received. Maybe you're an employer. What are your employees receiving? What are they passing on? What are you passing on beyond a paycheck to them? What are you passing on in a kingdom sense? What are you passing on to your coworkers, to your clients, to your students, to your classmates, to your friends, to your neighbors? What are we passing on in this season? What are we passing on to others in the church? We talk oftentimes about things like meal groups or teams. These are not things that are just meant to like fill up our calendars and to keep us busy. That all of those kind of things that we create inside of a community of a church are meant to be opportunities where we pass things on to one another. That that which we've received, we pass on to someone else. Jesus calls us to ask the question of ourselves, what are we passing on to the hungry? What are we passing on to the thirsty? What are we passing on to the stranger, to the immigrant, to those who are exposed, who find themselves naked in this world? What are we passing on to the imprisoned? Those whose life has ended up in places that they never thought or dreamed or imagined. Friends, finishing well looks like leaving a mark, passing something on. It's living a life that's marked by generosity, by service, by care, by sacrifice, by an other's orientation. Oftentimes for us, when we think about finishing well, our orientation becomes toward ourselves. This is what I need to do to get through this thing. And yet the life of the Spirit invites us to say in the midst of this, what is it the Lord is wanting me to pass on to those that are around me during this time? And we all know that we cannot pass on what we have not received. And this is impossible. 
we cannot pass on when we have not already received the life of faith. The life of Christ, the life that we're invited into is a life of participation, not performance and not production. It's a life where we find ourselves in the middle of something. And what we find ourselves in the middle of is receiving grace and mercy and love and generosity from God. Our life of faith is rooted in receptivity. And availing ourselves to the God who is continually giving all of himself to us in every moment of every day. A God who didn't just give himself to us once, but who is constantly pouring himself out, giving himself to us. And we're invited to do this. Just to take it all in and receive it. We find ourselves caught between that and then doing this. Taking what it is that we receive and passing it on to others. And gratitude and grace and seeing everything as a gift, not to be held closely to, but to be shared and to be passed on. Life that is a participation, a passing on of all that we've received from Jesus, passing it on to others. And a life that ultimately ends in receiving all of the benefits of Jesus finishing well. Not all the benefits of us finishing well, but all the benefits of Jesus finishing well in that passage in Revelation 21 that we read. We get this picture at the end of time when Jesus returns and he comes to make all things new and he utters these words. The translation we read said, all is done. The language is actually, it is finished. It's the very words that we can imagine the Father saying on the sixth day of creation as he looked at everything that he made and he finished all of his words. He said, yeah, it's done. And it is very good. It's the same words that Jesus uttered on the sixth day. See, he hung on a cross. And he says, it is finished. And it's the very words that he'll utter again when he returns. And he makes everything right and new and perfect and beautiful and lovely again. And he restores us fully into our humanity. And he'll say, it's is finished. And then he describes the scene. And he says, in that moment, we'll inherit everything. And he will freely give us water from the life-giving stream. So we end our life in total receptivity to all that it is that he wants to pour into us. That is the life of faith. And until then, we get to eat and drink freely of the body and blood of Christ. Then in the same way that gray hair and grandchildren point beyond themselves, the sacraments point them beyond themselves to something else. The body and blood of Christ. The feast of the Lamb that we get to enjoy forever in his presence. And so as we come... We come to the table, as we said often when we were in our other places and we came forward for communion, we come forward with empty hands. We don't bring anything to this meal. We come simply to receive, to remind ourselves that this is our posture. It's a posture of receptivity. We come empty-handed to receive everything that the Lord has to give to us today. And so as you look at the season that you're in, the finish line that is coming, and you're thinking about finishing well, asking, Lord, who are you making me to be in this time? 
and asking the question, what are you wanting to pass through me on to others? We come to the table and we're invited to ask the other question that Jesus asks so often. What do you need? What do you need right now? What do you need to finish this season well? What do you need to finish the challenge, the opportunity, the difficulty, the joy? What do you need to finish whatever that is in front of you? What do you need to finish it well? Do you need forgiveness today for the ways that you look back and all you see is like, yeah, it just hasn't gone well. And I need forgiveness. Maybe saying, I need forgiveness so that I can extend forgiveness to somebody else. Because I don't want to forgive them right now. (laughs) But I know that I need to. Maybe you find yourself saying, you know what I need today is I just need a fresh start. I need a reset button. I need a I need a redo. I need another opportunity. Maybe you can imagine Jesus in his many moments calling people to himself, saying things like, Your sins are forgiven. Go. In the peace of the Lord, go and show yourself to the priest. Go and live restored. Go and live a life of abundance. Jesus is always in the business of giving us fresh starts. Even to the thief on the cross, who gets to the very end, is like, man, I've made a mess of this whole thing. So Jesus, will you remember me? And Jesus says, oh yeah, I never forgot you. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Maybe you need a breakthrough today that you just don't even know how you're gonna finish, much less finish well. It's just something in front of you. You need the spirit of God to break through, to move. Maybe you're saying, you know what I really need is I need something to change in me. That rather than becoming more and more like Christ, I find myself becoming more critical, more angry, more defensive, more guarded, more distant, more angry, more alone. Lord, I need you to change something in me. Maybe you just need wisdom today. You're like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to finish, much less finish well. I need wisdom. One of the things that we hear from Jesus all the time is an encouragement to ask. Just ask. And to see what it is that he'll do in the middle of that. Sometimes his answers don't come the way that we expect. Sometimes they don't come the time that we want. But the answers come. So we're encouraged to ask. So as Evan comes to lead us to the table today, why don't you take just a moment in silence, maybe close your eyes. And make the ask. Say, Lord, I want to finish well. I want to become more like you. And I want to participate fully in what it is that you have for me. But in order to do that, I need to receive. I need something today. Ask him for it. Just see what he'll do.